we're focusing more on national and not local and you're losing all of those stories about what's happening right here at home and in your backyard. Building city space was a way for us to deepen that connection. Hey, Aisha. Hey, Caesar. So, you know, we are in the greater Boston area. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's really strange about the Boston area, and it may be true elsewhere, right? Okay. But one of the things you kind of recognize is there are actually very few really neutral public spaces hmm. for people to come together and talk and engage with issues. I mean, yeah, you know, the the library does some things. Yeah. And there's Faneuil Hall. Yeah. And, you know, the Prudential has this thing that it yeah. does thing in BU. Yeah. But... You know, everything has its history connected with it. Yeah, yeah. But we don't have anything that's really like, okay, we're just going to create this now for the yeah. Boston that is now. Yeah. And we're going to build it from the beginning to include everyone. That's a really good point. Like most spaces that you think about as being like sort of the coffee shop effect. Yeah. Like the original old school coffee shop effect are all just that. They're originals and old school. Yeah, original <laughs> like, and old school. They're not, like, they're not like a modern space that's made with the intention of like, bolstering civic life yeah which is you know our jam so yeah right and doing it in the midst of this complex public that we have right and lo and behold one of the most established uh, public radio stations in the country Mm -hmm. wbr has taken on that task with city space and so we uh said okay this is unique this is important so we invited the two people who actually have made this happen and are making it happen uh to our studio it is such a treat to have Desiree Arevalo and Candace Springer here with us in the studio to talk about this new, exciting space. City space, you mean? City space. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the incredible opportunity to visit City Space, which visit was what? which is this amazing. Well, I mean, I should let you guys talk about your own space, <laughs> but I'll start off by saying it was really incredible to watch the effort being made to bring listeners out in the world, in the ether, into a physical room. Mm. And creating this sense of community of who listens and what we sound like and what we can build together in a really literal way, in a way that I think is really rare. Like podcasts and podcasters will go on shows or tours, but rarely do they have a set space to be able to speak. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really incredible to, to witness. And I want to see the floor to, you know, maybe you guys can start talking about how the space developed, you know, what the idea for the space was, the very recent (laughs) programming and formation (laughs) of the space. This is sort of before both of our times, but WBUR City Space sort of uh, was born out of this idea at WBUR that we need to continue to connect with our audience in more engaged ways. At WBUR, our uh, listenership is, you know, primarily older, white, affluent audience. And they're aging up and they're going to eventually start aging out. So, you know, the main mission of WBUR is, one, to provide, you know, a source of independent journalism that you know and love and trust, but also, like, to continue to engage, you you know, a diverse group of listeners. And how do we do that? Well, we do that on air. We can do that online with our, you know, reporting. And we can do that, you know, on demand with Alexa and Google Home and all that type of stuff. We could also do it in person, which we turned into on stage at City Space. <laughs> so the idea was really born out of let's take 
all of this stuff, all this content that we're doing on WBUR and translate it into a real experience in a building. Let's continue that conversation in person. So all of that content that you love and you hear on NPR and WBUR, we're just doing that live mm-hmm. in front of an audience and allowing the audience to engage in mm-hmm. a way that they're not quite able to do when they just listen or if they read a piece, you know, you can type in a comment, but sometimes you're shouting out into the void. Whereas mm-hmm. at City Space, you have the unique opportunity to engage with hosts and reporters or, you know, podcast makers. And and also we just have civic conversations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we did a panel on gun violence. We did a panel on homelessness in the city of Boston. So good. Yeah. So it allows people who are really, you know, really care about these issues to come in and talk to not only, you know, their community, you know, fellow community members, but also to policymakers. So the gun violence event, we had Governor Baker there. Homelessness, we had Mayor Walsh. So it gives you a unique opportunity to, you know, get in the room with some people that you see all the time who are are working and advocating for you and ask them questions about what they're doing. And this is amazing because, you know, one thing that we've talked about with the move from season one is this idea of bringing the conversation from the town hall to the street corner. Right. And like, besides the fact that you guys are literally on a street corner. <laughs> we are on, indeed on, on the corner of Sable Sable and Com- Com- <laughs> Yeah. With like amazing location and like beautiful like glass and you know, all this stuff. Like besides the fact that you're literally on a street corner, you are moving the conversation away from these like formal halls of power into places that are more accessible. A lot of your events are free. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, you have access to like thinkers or in this case, like elected officials that you may not otherwise have the opportunity to speak to. And even like for the listeners here that like may not be able to visit the space physically, there's an incredible way the space is designed that allows even people actually outside on the street to listen in. Oh yeah. So if you weren't able to get a ticket or if it, you know, quickly like the tickets were sold out, I mean, despite being free, if they just were booked up, you can still actually view and witness the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, those are are you talking about the speakers from the, outside? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's and that garden. seating area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and then on top of that, I mean, we record all of our programs and then we upload them and we archive them on YouTube. And that's for, you know, if it is a twenty dollar admission, mm-hmm. you can see it for free and you can still engage yep. online. It may not Amazing. be in person, but you can still capture that that conversation. Yeah. Um, we do we, get a lot of emails from people asking us if we recorded it, even if they were in the room because yeah. they either want to see it again or share it with somebody, yeah. you know, who wasn't there um, and continue that conversation way past, you know, yeah. the street corner, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I've just been thinking about, you know, as I've been visiting the space and kind of being able to talk to you guys a little earlier, just thinking about how when we, when, you know, Caesar in like the design framework has talked a lot about like different ways of expression, I don't know that we've ever had another, particularly audio medium, in the room with us ever before. And so it feels really meta to be able to, like, (laughs) speak to you guys and hear you guys describe your strategy to be, like, online, on demand, Mm -hmm. on stage, and, you know, kind of thinking, okay, well, what should we be doing as the move? Like, but but, but also, and getting tips, right, from a very well-established organization like WBUR, but also thinking about, like, what ways of expression can look like 
as a form of engaging people that don't typically get engaged. Right. Right? Like, we're expanding the community here. It's no longer white and elderly or the sort of traditional listening pool for radio. Exactly. But also, there, we're just, we live in an age of disruption, too, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're constantly battling to get people's attention, you know, whether it's like they want to Netflix and chill or they want to, mm. like, <laughs> they want to go to Boston yeah. Calling. And it's like, how do we get them to want to come here? But yeah. also, that's the selling point of City Space. It's like, okay, like, you're having that conversation online, you're reading these pieces, but you're not talking to people. Mm. Like, we've we've kind of lost that opportunity in this age yeah. of, like, you know, what, the golden digital age, you know, yeah. to actually just be in a room yeah. and experience something together. Like, we did this tribute to Mary Oliver, the poet who just wow. recently died. Yeah, I love her. And it was amazing to just hear we had a panel of poets who kind of read from her work and talked about why you know these poems matter to them in their spaces but also just to like the audience was like doing these audible like mm. <laughs> and, uh, like as they were reading and it was just like oh my god like you know it was just like totally totally I mean and that's something that you don't experience wow. you know alone you know wow. it was just like and then like some audience members were like preach you know <laughs> and it was just like okay yeah and it's so great I mean we have that <laughs> and then we have these policy talks right and then we have a Muslim jazz concert right and so it's so kind of touching cool. on all of these different communities right. so it, it, there's something for everyone I mean that's exactly. the goal that's what we're trying to do and hopefully mm-hmm. it's being achieved yeah mm-hmm. it sounds like it to me you know, <laughs> I, I wish I had been on the tour I'm so sorry I missed it I have a question though, mm-hmm. which is actually Ayusha you brought this up about one of our I don't know if you talked to them at all about our whole design principles and what we were doing. But Briefly. One, one yeah. of them is the whole, this whole thing about blending the analog and digital world, mm-hmm. which seems like that's exactly what you're doing in mm-hmm. these spaces, bringing those yeah. two worlds together in interesting ways. But WBR has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's a force in the broadcast, public broadcasting uh, world. Why does it decide to do this now? Mm-hmm. What's going on? that this seems like the time? What pushed you to say, hey, we need to bring these two worlds together. We have something to offer here. Yeah, I mean, our former general manager, Charlie Kravitz, he kind of like saw where public radio was going, Mm -hmm. where, you know, we have loyal listeners, but we can't just rely upon our loyal listeners to keep us uh, afloat. Yes, (laughs) keep us competitive. Mm -hmm. Like we have to keep pushing to maintain a relevancy, especially, you know, I was talking about disruption. It's like the news is being disrupted in every way, you know, (laughs) Twitter with, you know, all, I mean, you can access your news from the tip of your fingers at this point. And so it was in ways a business decision. It was like, how can we continue to maintain our presence? Mm. And we also have a station that we compete with here in Boston. We're very fortunate to have two stations that mm-hmm. that are really, really great sources of news. But yeah, I think nationally, this is a conversation that's being had in, across the world of public radio mm. because they do some national conferences about public radio where we are. Mm. And I'm starting to notice that engaging with the community is becoming a session and a panel and mm. multiple panels at all of these conferences it's like wow. we have to be able to further connect with our audience and also not just to like 
keep them listening, yeah. but also to understand what they care about, yeah. what they want us to cover, what we should be covering, because mm. that's part of what's happening too, right? You know, newspapers are dying. You know, we're focusing more on national and not local, and you're losing all of those stories about what's happening right here at home and in your backyard. And so building city space was a way for us to deepen that connection in many, many ways and continue the relevancy of WBUR beyond the airwaves. And I mean, the space allows us then to take some of these conversations, which may not have been something that we could necessarily put on air. It didn't quite mm. lend itself to mm. a conversation that or, or like a piece that would work. But then we can take the content that we're audio recording and that we're video recording and turn that into a piece because it was so good. And we've done that a couple of times with we did a conversation with Des Linden about the Boston Marathon and mm. her whole journey. And then we turned that into a radio piece. And we're, we're kind of having some preliminary talks about maybe turning some of this these events into a podcast we haven't gotten there oh, yet, cool. but nice. we're just starting to see that sometimes the content isn't born in the newsroom it's born yeah. down in city space and then we can push that out yeah, yeah. Uh, to our community yeah but it's a way of us trying to stay in the game. And mm -hmm. one thing that I said to Ayushi when we were on the tour was a, there's a big misconception that the government pays for <laughs> a lot of the public radio funding, whereas, you know, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is only about 3% of the funding for our, our station. Everything else is uh, listener supported. Mm -hmm. So that's membership. And then there's underwriting where, you know, clients will buy, you know, ad space, which is very it's very controlled space where they you know will support us and they will get like a little mention on air and it's not like commercial radio where they can say whatever they want <laughs> so that's how we stay alive and we stay afloat and so i think if you know we want our audience to continue to support us we really have to understand what matters to them mm -hmm. and city space is a way that we can do that that we haven't been able to do it before so i love this this is like you know what's striking me is I don't know where your where your head's at, Caesar, but one thing that's striking me is like we've talked to so many people in so many different organizations about what engagement or like public participation means to them and how they as a result envision this like public, right? And it's really striking to me hearing what you're saying about the vision behind city space that engagement in this context is good business. Yeah. You know, because I think that's unfortunately rare, whether it's because like the business practice is mediated by other types of funding. Right. So like what you're describing, where your audience is your paycheck effectively means that like you don't you're not reliant on like the way that Google relies on like ad marketing. Mm, right. Like mm -hmm. so that creates this intermediary mm -hmm. or in other cases. Right. Like while the government serves the public the government doesn't rely on the public for money in the same way because the tax base and that income, property tax, sales tax, is preset. Yeah. So then engagement becomes like an appendage to the job. And so what you're describing where it's like good business practice actually depends on you staying relevant for a audience base is just really beautiful because somehow we're like in this larger conversation around like relationships and transactions, all of a sudden, like the relationship is the transaction, mm. but like not in a grimy way. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Exactly. I mean, it's all about, it's like evolution of totally. what, I mean, like you said, staying competitive, but you're realizing a lot of people aren't listening to the radio anymore. Mm -hmm. People don't have these 
people don't live in the suburbs and like work in the city anymore. A lot of people live in the city and they take yeah. the train, so they don't they don't listen to the radio as much as they did. Especially the younger generations. Yeah. We listen to podcasts. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's on demand mm-hmm. and on the tips of your fingers. And whenever you want to listen to it, you might you're not listening to it in real time necessarily. Right. So. right. And so, you know, the idea was how do you stay competitive and, you know, Hopefully, city space stays around for a really long time. <laughs> so, I have another question in relationship to that because if you, I mean, as you said, I think it's really interesting that you're this kind of transit. We've had these conversations this season with people about relation, relational or transactional mm-hmm. engagements with people. And here you have one that's kind of really mixing those two in a really interesting way. And you're trying to really kind of connect with the broader audience and bring them in and as you said, either engagement with other officials or ideas or policy work. But Boston's a really segregated place. Mm. It is. It's a divided place. So yeah. you, you can have all that going on mm-hmm. and not contribute to that issue, which mm-hmm. is how do we deal with that? So how are you struggling with that? Mm. that <laughs> that's funny that you said that. <laughs> well, so one of the events that we had was the tackling gun violence one, mm. and that actually became kind of a controversial event for us. Mm-hmm unexpectedly. So we had a panel, we partnered with BU and we partnered with this other organization. I don't remember the name. Stop handgun handgun violence. Yeah. yeah. And with these partnerships, you kind of have trust in these partnerships. So the people who are on the panel kind of got away from us. There was just people who added and we, you know, we were kind of more more on the programming side because we also had a mo- uh, one of our reporters was the moderator. So I think that was the piece that we were focused on the most. And then as we were posting it, we started getting these online comments saying it's funny that the panel it's all white. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it does not reflect, frankly, you know, wow. you're having a panel on gun violence and it doesn't reflect wow. the communities that are actually dealing with it, dealing with yeah. it and affected by gun violence yeah. the I mean, most. Really, and that, the comment was like, there are no black and brown voices on this mm-hmm. panel. You yeah. Know? yeah. And that mm-hmm. was really a wake up call for us mm-hmm. as to, OK, we actually, you know, this is this is an issue. And we knew that. But I think, you know, we are a small team. There's only so many pieces. So that was really a wake up call for us. Yeah. And I mean, the conversation was originally around how Massachusetts does have one of the lowest. Yes. Statistically. Statistically <laughs> within the nation, <laughs> one of the lowest like gun. What is it? I don't know what it was. What, what, one of the lowest gun rates. And so gun we're coming rates, at it yes. from that angle of and the policy. And the policy right? behind it and how right. we got to that Exactly. Point. But it seemed like, and of course, like this is really what our first month of operation at City Space. On the other side, it seems like, you know, we're patting ourselves on the back, you know, when we've got real issues we still need to deal with. We've got kids who are scared to walk home from school because they're afraid of being shot. And we have, you know, gun violence all over neighborhoods and parents who are frustrated and mad and they just want their kids to be safe. And so, you know, we're we're putting out this event as, you know, like Massachusetts has one of the lowest gun, you know, <laughs> violence rates in the country. And then we have our community telling us that is not the whole story. You need to talk about the whole story. And so very quickly we realize we have got to reflect mm-hmm. more right. of, you know, right. our community in this conversation. And, and through that, I mean, I think yeah. through all of our events, we're always we're always thinking about diversity and we recognize and there were a lot of kids who came to that tackling gun violence yes. event and they a lot even of said, young activists. Yeah, from Boston and they even said, you know, 
this is out here. I never come out here. Mm. Why would I have, you know, I have to get on the train and the access. And so, you know, it's something that we do think about um, all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> and that that event in particular was certainly a kick in the pants for us as so that as we're creating, we are making sure that we're reflecting the voices that, right. you know, need to be part of this conversation always. But it's hard. It is hard. Our boss loves to say content drives the audience. And sometimes she's right. <laughs> we we partnered with our arts and culture team, The Artery, to do The Artery 25, which I highly recommend you check out if you haven't seen it. It was a celebration of 25 millennials of color who are shaping hmm. the arts and culture scene in Boston. Wow. And we had like this big party at City Space after the you know, the piece came out and, you know, we invited all of them and their families. And then we invited the public to come for free to this party, food and drinks and dancing. And it was packed and it was all black and brown people. Amazing. And, and Des and I in particular were like, we love this. We want this to happen all the time, you know? And it was just so, it was such an inspiring night yeah. because like you're among your peers and everybody's celebrating black and brown excellence and like these young people are so talented and like they're the future we were like we need more of this so you know when my boss's content drives the audience she meant it on that one we also did we partnered with oxfam for international women's day about celebrating latin american women and how strong they are and why you know they are deciding to flee the you know the border or why they're deciding to stay and what that means and again we had the audience that we were looking to have. So, but I always, I challenge her sometimes and I'm like, no, content doesn't always drive the audience because like Des mentioned, it's like we're on Commonwealth Avenue in mm. Boston. We're in, a, it's, we're not near Roxbury. We're not near Dorchester. You have to come out here to get here. And if you're not on a train line, it makes it a little bit more difficult, especially when there are games at Fenway. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just like, it's, oh, a, man. it's hard to yeah. get around. And yeah. so how are we creating pathways for people to get to us? And we have not figured that mm. out yet completely. I mean, it's, it's something that we're all we're constantly thinking about. Yeah. I know I am always. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that we are trying to do is the first thing is keep costs low as much mm. as we possibly can. Yeah. You know, we don't want ticket prices to prohibit people from wanting to come. That's something that we can definitely prevent. But yeah, no, we we are still trying to figure out, you know, through partnerships or the content that we're doing and, you know, figure out how we can get the audiences that we want to be part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. Because if we're speaking to, you know, the straight white, you know, male or female, then we're not necessarily doing the right mm -hmm. job. You know, those are that's our audience who knows us and loves us. But the mission of City Space is not necessarily to just cater to our audience. It's to attract all different voices. And yeah, it's definitely a struggle. And what I know is that 25% of Boston knows WBUR. Mm. Only 25%. It's kind mm. of a surprising statistic. It's like when you're in the bubble, you know, with like <laughs> all like these, everybody knows yeah, with all around. these NPR <laughs> heads, like you're, you're just like, everybody knows who we are. But no, it's 25%. That's 75% of a city that I don't have yet. Right. That's an opportunity, wow. you know? And now we have to figure out how we seize that opportunity. You know, it's interesting that you're also that you're creating this space because there aren't very many spaces like this in Boston. Right. Mm -hmm. That's been one of the issues all yeah. the time. And part of it, they have to be in, almost in some sense in neutral spaces that mm -hmm. people feel like, okay, we can come into this. Right. You know, we're welcome here. It's right. okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet at the same time, Boston's very, you know, people stay in their neighborhoods. Exactly. You know, for, exactly. for whatever set of reasons. So it's a, 
it's a huge job to take on. To mm-hmm. say, like, you know, we're trying to create something that is for the city, that yeah. people start to see themselves in yeah. it. And I actually think this notion about, you know, content drives the audience. Mm-hmm. Very interesting because I think in our framework, as we think about the public, we all mm-hmm. we think more like, well, the audience is the content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then how do you actually then move audience mm-hmm. to actually generate content. What exactly. does that look like? And what exactly. That? No, and that's part of what you're doing by trying mm-hmm. to have these these mixes. But you don't have to stand alone on this problem, right? This is a problem <laughs> all of us have, right? Yeah. Everybody in Boston course, has this problem. Right? Everybody in the country has this problem. We exactly. have not figured out, yep. you know, these uh, places in which we can actually bring people together mm-hmm. to bring up Carl Moore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Friend of ours, who's uh, he has this quote about democracy in the community, and he he says democracy exists when people who are interdependent struggle with traditions that bind them and interests that separate them, so they can realize a future that's an equitable improvement on the past. Mm. Wow! And if that's true, then what we need to be doing is creating those spaces where that struggle can happen. Yeah, and that's part of what I hear you're saying. Yeah, Some space is trying to step in. We're going to be a space in which. The struggle mm-hmm. as a public right. we have to be involved in right. can occur. Exactly. And I, and I think that's, I mean, just to kind of jump off that, like, one thing that's really hard to manage sometimes, and I'm feeling this kind of in what you're describing as well, and I think this is a, a common struggle for a lot of organizations, is that, like, when there's a struggle happening on your grounds, you feel like you're responsible. Mm. Right. And then you begin to do this thing where you kind of, like, Oh, oh shit! I'm so sorry. Like mm-hmm. we forgot people of color on the panel, yeah, or right. like oh, oh god, you know. And it's like, but I guess I'm kind of this is a question to all of us, and you know, is just like how do you, in order to actually reframe and in, in order to improve, like we say, the public's muscle for struggle. What does that mean about our obligation mm-hmm. as as space creators, whether it be on the air or physically? as space creators to also be open to struggle? Like, what does that even look like? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so that, you know, and I keep going back to this tackling gun violence event only because that was probably the the event that we had the most struggle with. Internally, too, as a team. But PR-wise, it was the one that we had to struggle with the most. But honestly, it was... The be- for me, the best event because it ended up being organically one of like the greatest conversations because we had this organization, Violence in Boston, who came. She brought these teenagers from Boston who were affected by gun violence. And through that, she actually ended up being invited on stage organically. This wasn't even planned. I mean, we wanted her to be on stage, but we just couldn't find the space for her on stage, literally. Because we didn't have enough mics. I mean, it was a technical <laughs> issue. Like it wasn't even... Mics. It wasn't even like we don't want her up there. It was yeah. like, we don't have any more microphones. And after that event, you know, we kind of like, we're like, oh, my God, thank God it's over. Yeah. But really, like you're saying, mm. it was through that struggle that conversation happened. Yeah. And it was so good for everybody in that room. Well, and when I say struggle, too, I mean, like internally, we had journalists coming up to yeah. us saying, we're seeing this. Com- we're seeing what. <laughs> The community is saying, you guys have to fix this. How do we fix this? Mm. Like, I had people coming to my desk being like, what can we do? We have time to change this conversation. I mean, because and and then that sparked even the reporters in their newsroom meetings being like, all right, 
we've got to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And, right. you know, and city space, they really were like city space is an extension of WBUR. And when, you know, we are reporting, we are trying to reflect all the voices on both sides of whatever the issue is. And you guys have got to do that. Mm. So it was like we weren't even just getting it from like the community. We were like getting <laughs> right. hammered by our, our fellow colleagues and like trying in real time to like figure out how do we make the situation, you know, work so that everybody is involved. And I mean, not everybody was happy at the end of it. I think some of those policymakers, and I'll protect them, I'll be nice, but <laughs> some of those policymakers weren't quite happy at the end of it because we involved, you know, the activists in the conversation, but they deserved to be there. Right. And that was a thing. And it was funny because, you know, one in particular was very upset afterwards. And you know, was just like, felt that they weren't prepared properly for this. <laughs> My and boss we was just like, what an opportunity for you to talk to your constituents. I mean, like, it was just, I mean, this yeah. is your job. This is your job. And so in a way, I think we were also proud that we kind of held people accountable yeah. for answering yeah. these questions and from hearing, you know, the pain and the hurt and like these strong kids who were like, present and trying to fight for, you know, mm -hmm. something that they believe in. I think that that mattered because at the after the event, we were all like, thank God they were there. You know, <laughs> this conversation would have been boring without them. We wouldn't yeah. we would have just been, you know, we yeah. would have been patting ourselves on the back. And I mean, again, we don't know what that formula is. No, we don't know, you know, because that to us was a success. It happened. It kind of and it was sold out. It was super, sold super out, sold out. But again, it's a formula that, you know, we're we're. We just haven't figured out yet. And I don't know if we ever will, but, you know. It's but we're going to keep trying. I'll, I'll promise you that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think part of it is just really being authentic about yeah. what's yes. going on. Exactly. And that yes. there are different voices on this. Yeah. And I think it's really hard. I find it especially hard here in Boston, but it may be hard everywhere. I know it is hard everywhere, actually. <laughs> we have our own flavor of it. And that is we want our public conversations to be polite. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we don't mm. want to let. Yeah. the fullness of what people are experiencing mm, yeah. around issues in the room. And that's why people feel frustrated a lot. And yeah. I think we have to learn how to live with that. You know, yeah. we, have to, we have to learn with, as, right. as uh, Wendell says, yeah. town hall yeah. for venting. You know, the <laughs> idea is that, well, people have reason to be mad and upset and stuff, and that's a reasonable thing. It's the unreasonable person who wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. So why yeah. don't we create the space where that's welcome too? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, because we have to move through that. We have to engage with that in order to move yeah. forward. You know, yeah. we can't uh, silence it. I love that. So that might be one of the things you start to look for. Like, how do, how do we actually yeah. bring that into the space? You know, realize, you know, these will always be some sense of, you know, struggle in there because of the issues themselves represent the, the complexity of who we are. And we're experiencing them in all kinds of different ways. And so mm -hmm. that's how it should be. You know, that interpretation, not of just the issue as a series of facts, mm, right. but the issue as a lived experience of emotions. Yeah. And there's nuance. And there's nuance. nuance. That's yeah. what we, that's what the community was telling us. That's what we knew, you know, but it was just like, we can't have this conversation. We can't solve this. We're not tackling gun violence. That's what we learned. We're like, no, we're having a conversation about it. Yeah. And we need to have more of them. And maybe mm. this should have been a multiple part series where we, right. you know, focus on one subject. Like all of these things sort of sparked 
in this real time situation of us scrambling. But yeah, I mean, just even the title of the event, we were like, no, we we, we should have changed that. We shouldn't have had that. You know what I mean? But it's all about listening. I mean, we get so many comments from people every day about events that they've attended, whether it's mm. like, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah, and whether it's like just the moth, you know, story te- story slam, or you know, we had uh, Walter Willette, who's a nutrition scientist there, and and you know, they tell us they are they are unfiltered about whether they liked it, they didn't like it, what you should have done better. Here's the moderator you should have the next time. Like, I mean, they get super specific, and I mean, the thing that I love about our team and about the department that we work in is like we're listening to mm. all of it. Because, you know, we have to. And clearly people feel listened to. Otherwise, they wouldn't take the time and energy to write to you. Exactly. Because, you know, not getting feedback is probably more dangerous. It means people don't feel like their voice is valuable. Right. So why would they even expend the energy? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really, I mean, going back to that sort of authenticity, right? And, like, being accountable and being open to being open to being accountable yeah, is really incredible. Every email, yeah. every phone call, yeah. the box office, we're, we're on nine to five. We listen to anything anybody has to say to us. Yeah. So. And oftentimes, like, we're like, yeah. mm, they checked us. We needed it. We needed <laughs> yeah. it. It's growth. So, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I, I'm concerned about, and I wonder how you think about this in relationship to what City Space is doing, is that we can create these pockets where we're actually able to bring people together, have conversations and stuff, but sometimes they don't make themselves into the spaces where mm. decisions are made or where the mm. real conversations happen mm. and things like that. Have you just mm. been thinking about that? Like, is there any way what you're doing can start to maybe shift that some or get people to think about that? You know, that notion of, well, we've had the conversation, we walk out the door and the same seven white guys are going to be doing mm-hmm. gun policy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the decision making inside WBUR too. Yeah. All of that. You know, you so, know, what, so how do you how do you see and I'm I'm not saying this is your issue. Yeah. It's just the issue of transformation in society and mm-hmm. we're at these critical spaces of trying to create new opportunities, but hoping those new opportunities can actually have some impact. Mm-hmm on the things that are in place yeah. right now that are actually in some sense contributing to the problems we're talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, again, there's so many, It's <laughs> I think our business model is really nuanced. Like, yes, we want to engage new audiences. Yes, we need to be revenue generating. Yes, we need to, you know, engage our current audiences. But then we, at the end of the day, it's like, what what are we bringing to the people who are attending our events and what are they walking away with? Like, what is that? And are we meeting those goals? And I, I'm, I'm gonna like talk about this one event because to, I think as an event person from the outside in, I would say, oh, that was a dud because there was 30 people in our audience, <laughs> right? But it was, it was Abilities Dance and it was this woman who she had gotten into a car accident or so she got into an accident and she was no longer, she was on a walker. She's Elise young. Patterson. Yeah, Elise Patterson, Abilities Dance. And so she wanted to be a dancer, but she couldn't find a company that would hire her. She wanted to be a professional dancer, so she created it. And so she now has a company with like 60 dancers who all have some sort of disability. And they, so we hired her and, you know, we pushed it out and we only got 30 people, but 
I'm not joking. There were the people who were in that room left there feeling so inspired. And there was this there was this one girl who she at the end of the <laughs> the event was dancing in the lobby, and she you know she had some sort of disability as as well. And she went on the mic and asked her you know, what made you want to do this? And when Elise told her her story and she wanted to take pictures and it was just, you know, we as a team didn't feel that that was a dud or a fail, even though we maybe lost money Mm -hmm. or, you know, we didn't get the audience that as big as we wanted it to, it was a win for us. That was like that was like small impact, right? Because right. then, Super like, small. I remember Des coming in the office the next day and being like, <laughs> "It was so worth it." Because that little girl saw somebody who looked like her, she, and she was. Because Elise Patterson is a black queer woman, and this little girl was a black girl with a disability. And you know, to be able to see a woman on stage, killing it, running her own company, and doing something that this little girl maybe can now believe that she can do it as well. And so even though that was a really small impact, I'm not saying she's like a policymaker. Who knows? Maybe she will be. Um, but, <laughs> she will be. you know, those those are the kind of impacts that we want to make. So, yeah. I mean, that question just makes me want to be like, oh, yeah, let's go figure that out. How I know. Can we, how can we add it to the pile? Yeah, how can we, like, <laughs> actually, like, transform? Tra- yeah. Be transformative. I, I mean... It's been four months. We haven't really thought about that too much, but I I definitely would love to be. I mean, we call City Space Boston's home for public conversation. That's Mm. like our brand. And I would love for that to mean more than just Mm -hmm. within the space. I would love for that to have impact outside of it. And like even today, like right now, our colleague Alex is (laughs) preparing for, um, we're doing, we're partnering with Clover Food Lab on Meet the Farmer Night and we're bringing in like eight, farms to talk about you know community supported agriculture and they're gonna you know present all of their different csa offerings and we're gonna have a conversation about urban farming and the future of farming and hopefully people at that audience will be so moved that they want to support local agriculture i have no idea but like that's what we're trying to do is like you know have small impact yeah we definitely can we can measure that and then Maybe we can work on some of that bigger stuff. I will say we are a news organization. And so, you know, we t- as an extension of WBUR, we right. do have to be careful that we're staying, you know, journalistically neutral. You know, like with the gun violence issue, I mean, that was a situation where it was like everybody was, quote, on the same side. And yet it was a little bit, right. there was a little bit of tension, even in this conversation where everybody theoretically Mm. agrees that more needs to be done. So we kind of have to balance out our organization and the mission and values of BUR with what we do down in the space. But if that happens organically, then then it's all good. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) So Candace and Desiree, we really thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Incredible. uh, We just, you know, we know, we really believe that we just need people out there in the world creating these new spaces and really being mindful about how they're doing it Mm -hmm. so that they're actually helping us both come together in different ways, learn together, heal together, Mm -hmm. because we have to do all those things. And it's just wonderful champion is these two women of color leading that Yes. <laughs> and being the actual creators behind this incredibly new and powerful space in Boston. So thank you both for Thank being you here. so much thank for having you. us. Thank you. I yeah. know. This is so great. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Okay, so I love this particular uh, interview. Actually, I love them all, but this one was, you know, <laughs> only thing that was so special about it is just like how upfront and honest they were. I mean, they we're were so candid with us. Yeah, I mean, we're like I appreciate that. It's kind of like we're in the you know this whole thing about you don't want to be in there when they make the sausage. You were, uh. we were in there with them. <laughs> you know, they talked about making the sausage. You know, I know. and you know the story about the gun violence episode oh, and what it took for them, what they've learned from it, what it caused both in the, from the community. And Even the division internally. And the division internally. And yeah. Why I think that's so special is we really have to recognize that creating these new public spaces isn't going to be a smooth thing. Mm. Right? It's going to be fraught with all kinds of problems and issues as we learn yeah. how to do them and yeah. continually over time. It is part of that struggle, right, yeah. that Carl Moore talks about. Yeah. And um, they are doing it with such grace. Such grace. Grace. And such a heart and, you know, really a sense of just like, we're here. This is going to happen. And such intention despite being so young. Yeah. Which was really remarkable to me. And, you know, it should be no surprise. I think this is just like, this is the the word of the world today is there are two young women of color mm-hmm. who are leading us down this road. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think we're finding that happening in lots of spaces, and that's just music to my ear. <laughs> we're a production of the Department of Urban Studies and Planning at MIT with support from MIT's Office of Open Learning. Our sound is produced by Dave Lashansky, our content by Julia Cubrera and Misael Galdamez. I'm Ayushi Roy. I'm Susan McDowell. And you can find us online at themove.mit.edu. And on our Medium site at medium.com forward slash themovemit, as well as our Twitter and Facebook. Thanks so much. Goodbye.